Hello and welcome to the March edition of the Cinetopia Radio Show. I'm with um, two of our lovely um, colleagues, uh, Jim, um, a regular, and Betty. Um, so how are you guys doing right now? Uh, fortunately, pretty good, given the current situation. Um, yeah, no, no, pretty good, but, you know, did, did, lots of plans to watch films, but obviously they're a little bit curtailed at the moment, as I'm sure we'll get into later in the show. Yeah, do you plan on watching a lot of those films at home? Yeah, well, fortunately, actually, I've got quite a lot of screeners from cancelled film festivals who are now <laughs> desperate for coverage. Oh, so, right. yeah, so I'll, I'll do a bit of that and then... You know, you just got to take it a day at the time at the moment, I think. Yeah, so I think a little bit of what we'll be talking about is some of the cancellations and how this might affect, um, you know, the whole industry as a whole, um, and as well as, uh, you know, a, a few reviews. Um, Betty, how are you doing? I'm doing about as well as I think I could be doing, uh, given the current circumstances. Um, I have started to introduce uh, my own safety measures by staying inside and watching a lot of stuff that I otherwise probably couldn't now that everything's cancelled, including university lectures. So I have a lot of time on my hands, <laughs> which is, I suppose, not, uh, which I think is nice, though the impending apocalypse doesn't make me feel very good about anything. <laughs> Yes, it is a very, very unsettled time. And um, I, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the past couple days is pretty much every festival in Scotland um, being cancelled. Um, the Glasgow Short Film Festival was just cancelled and the um, Hip Fest, which um, I know one of our colleagues was going to go to as well. Um, and uh, any. Yeah, else? Well, yeah, on the, on the last show, we uh, spoke to. Uh, Lily Sandlin, who does many things, but she's also part of the team of Barrow Docks. They've had to right. cancel their, the rest of their Glasgow. Um, so they got through the Edinburgh part, but they've had to cancel the rest of that. Um, internationally, there's a lot of festivals getting cancelled, like South by Southwest is cancelled. Uh, Tribeca has been postponed, I believe, rather than cancelled. But point is, it's not going ahead in April as planned. Um, and yeah, it's just it, it's basically happening all over. Yeah, and we're filming this um, or recording this a couple days before um, before it actually goes live. Uh, but I think the big question is whether or not can will go forward. And the other question with that is whether or not if it doesn't go forward, what how will that impact the industry as a whole? Because I think that's kind of just leads us through the whole the whole year, you know? Yeah, I think they're meant to be deciding at the end of April. I'd, I'd be kind of surprised if it goes ahead at this point. We we, we shall see. We yeah. shall see. Um, and on top of that, there's been um, a lot of cancellations of films coming out in movie theaters. Um, I know that some movie theaters are taking precautions by doing 50% at this stage um, of allowing people in, but still acting and a film house, I believe, is still going and and you know um, you know some movie theaters are, are definitely keeping going, but I'm sure that the amount of people who are going are are much lower. Um, cancellations that have occurred are that were about to come out. Um, Mulan, The New Mutants, um, Antlers. I I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, it's a horror film that was meant to be coming. Meant to be coming out. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the biggest the biggest casualties I think are probably uh, the next two we've got on our list here. The the first one to major one to really cancel was No Time to Die, the new Bond right, film, the James Bond film, yeah, uh, which has been put back to November, uh, which I think will be a massive hit for. Uh, a lot of cinema chains, independently, I mean, it may well be that they're forced to close down by the time we even broadcast this, but if they're not, yeah. then the absence of that film's a big one. Um, and even stuff that's further afield, uh, Fast and Furious 9, I think, was meant to come out in May or June, maybe, and that's been put back a whole year, that'll be coming out next was summer. Was that the one that was filmed here? It was, yeah, um, and I decided that if anybody in that film pronounces it Edinburgh or Edinburgh, <laughs> then we riot. We riot. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure I've 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 already tweeted at Vin Diesel, right? I've already tweeted at Vin Diesel. I will I will kick off if that happens. He's got well, a year. They got a year to sort out post if I'm that is the case. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Because um, it's my my people, if you will, who really don't know how to do not understand the borough. Um, I don't even know if I get it right. So you probably will riot. You know. No, you're yeah. good. You're cool. Right. You're All fine. Right. 
Um, so yeah, a quiet place too. I mean, just a lot of cancellations. Um, you know, and then I also saw an interestingly, um, like Copenhagen Docs has decided to go completely digital. Mm-hmm. So they're finding ways in which you know we can sort of go through this period of time. Um, on a more positive note, um, it seems as though this week, uh, or actually last week, uh, the Edinburgh Film House, um, one of our great art house cinemas, has um, announced this 11-story purpose-built uh, facility. Um, that sounds great. It will be, um, I- ideally, I think, 2025. Um, it would be 11 story- stories, some of them underneath some of them on the top, right in Festival Square. Um, Jim, what do you think about this? I mean, it looks very exciting. It looks interesting. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the idea of the film house having expanded capacity, um, you know, because it's easy to forget that it's if, if we discount the, the Dominion, uh, at the moment it's the only actual independent cinema really in the city so yeah. that, that that's interesting i'll be interested to see what gets put on those screens uh, i hope it maintains the variety it has right now or maybe even extends it with that um extra capacity but it certainly looks very interesting and exciting um i think there's going to be a lot of movement in the cinema space in edinburgh because of course the everyman cinema is getting built right now i think i think it's right. part of that that development up at uh, st james, st. james yeah. the st james's center uh, so there's that there's you know the the ever the ever approaching resurrection of the cinema on clark street um and yeah i think i think it's a good thing uh, i'm sure once the plans are out there people will get into the nitty-gritty of it and what it will actually uh, be used for but certainly i i can't, it's it's a positive development. I think, you know, I will always welcome more cinema exhibition space in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we just had our last um, networking nights um, of last Thursday. And, um, you know, it was an interesting conversation that we were having about the new film house and obviously, um, you know, what's happening right now in the world. And um, one of the things I was starting to think about a lot is um, how and how this particular situation, um, the virus and, and, and whatnot, is really going to have an impact on the filmmakers and freelancers and, and, you know, people who don't have those, like, full-time jobs and, um, you know, I think it's a big point of conversation, but also these venues and these arts venues that um, really, like, require people to come in and there's, you know, it's so important. So we just saw Broadway going under, you know, like, or, or closing, turning their lights off and stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's an, it's an interesting time and, you know, I'm, we're, we're hoping for the best that get back to business as soon as possible. I'm not sure when we'll be having our next networking night, to be honest. Um, but we'll, we'll hold, look forward to doing them when we can again. So on this episode of our podcast, we are going to be reviewing two films, um, System Crasher, which was originally part of the Berlin Alley 2019. It's due to be out on March 27th, and the director is Nore Finscheit. Uh, the Assistant, due to be out on April 3rd, director Kitty Green, and starring Julia Garner. That plus will be telling you some of our favorite shorts as well, as we normally do. So the first film we're going to be reviewing is The Assistant, uh, director Kitty Green. And uh, Jim, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, that film? So this film, uh, I'm trying to think where it actually uh, debuted. but It's been on festivals kind of towards the tail end of last year. And basically it's starring uh, Julia Garner, who has been in various things, but I think most people would probably know her for her role in uh, the Ozark, or is it just Ozark? So she leads, and basically she's playing a assistant at a... Well, appears to be a, a basically a movie production studio's office, um, and she is an assistant to somebody who who is very clearly meant to be um, an analog of a Harvey Weinstein type figure. Now, notably, we don't see this person for pretty much the entirety of the film. I think if we do, it's maybe just a glance, but I'm pretty sure we don't see. We hear him uh, over the phone, but we don't see him. And basically, 
she starts to become a little bit more and more troubled by the behavior uh, of pe- people in the office generally, but this individual in particular, um, and the way he treats her and speaks to her. And it kind of starts to reach ahead when another assistant is hired, uh, who's a, a, a young, attractive woman who s- seemingly has very little uh, experience that he encountered at a film festival. And this causes uh, Jane, which is the name of Julia Garner's character, to start to think that maybe she should speak up about some of the behaviour and the uh, goings-on that she is seeing. Basically, that is the film. Uh, it follows it follows what she notices, uh, the way people behave around her, um, some of the ab- abusive conversations that she has over the phone or over an intercom with this figure. And it's clearly meant to be trying to address the idea of how, um, and more generally, I think, kind of, uh, you know, sexual misconduct in the workplace. But in particular, I think it's basically meant to be a comment on how knowledge of the likes of Harvey Weinstein's behaviour could be so widespread um, without uh, it being dealt with, basically. I think that's what it's going for, and that's that's basically what the film does. It follows that. I believe the first shot is uh, where she lives in, in this film, and um, it's it, it, it was a quintessential Queens and Greenpoint, and it just hooked me right away. So um, the film... Feels very much of about an exper- about you know living and working in New York and work working in with corporate corporate America, and if I could say I didn't work for Har- Harvey Weinstein but I worked in corporate America and I and as an assistant and I know I really felt the energy of that kind of can you know isolation and I think that that's what that film does really well is here's this person who's sort of dealing with some issues and discovering them but they're all hidden so that like you said the 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 culprit the boss is hidden you never see him you never you only hear or or you have these clues uh, that kind of stuff is consistently happening no matter what kind of graft you know whether it's you know the you know sexual misconducts or, or other things that are happening and um, it's it's quite a daunting spot to be in and I think it really captures that in in ways through like really spending a lot of alone time and a lot of focus on whether it's her making her meal late at night or you know photocopying things and the clues that come through that kind of experience. I thought it was incredibly well done in a and it's not simple but in this in in actually a very quiet way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. And I think that this idea of uh, the Jane character being very isolated uh, and feeling very lonely, which I can, uh, I think adds to the... I don't want to say interpretation because that makes it sound like I'm uh, like downplaying it, but the, the way that she experiences what she's going through um, is really done in both the performance. I think it's a very quiet performance from Julia Garner. Um and it needs to be because basically this is someone who's trying their best to just kind of get along and not make a not make a fuss about things and also in kind of the framing and the setup of the shots in the film i mean there's a, there's at least two shots of her walking down deserted streets effectively and it follows her like very slowly and deliberately to the end of that walk you know the the camera's fixed and she just kind of you know, disappears into the, the the background out of focus, and I think the entire film is constructed to really do that extremely well. Uh, and I think what's interesting about it is basically the, the, that entire approach, because the way that a lot of people must experience these things and witness these things is yes, that th- there are victims, but there are people who witness it, and the way that they witness it is through kind of that muffled phone conversation you can't quite hear, Um, a door that's shut that maybe shouldn't be, Uh, somebody who is there and you don't really know why, slightly strange behaviour, something that's left on a floor or something that requires cleaning in a very particularly gross opening scene that really shouldn't require cleaning. And I think that approach to it is a very interesting one to take. It requires a lot of... uh, 
it requires a good performance in Julia Garner, but also Kitty Green, the director, needs to frame her shots and such to really get that home, but not in a very histrionic way. And I think she does it superbly. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to this idea of like the HR, you know, conversation in some ways, that you just realize how much, like you said, because it is so hidden, these mm. sort of activities, there's so much of of that which you can almost second guess yourself and then you know this idea that she you know this becomes a focus in her life and yet she still doesn't have that much information i think it's just handled a, a really interesting way to tell that story and it could have been told in so many different other kind of ways in fact when i saw the the trailer i thought it was going to be like a you know, a revenge a film of like assistant or something was going to take mm. revenge on, but it really wasn't. It was an internal struggle and 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 a f- sense of isolation. And I thought it it handled it really well. Betty, what did you think? Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned the trailer, because when I first researched this, this film, I broadly liked it quite a bit. I thought it was I thought it was per- a very interesting watch, and it's pretty topical that we're talking about it now after a Harvey Weinstein sentence. But um, I was intrigued by the fact that I don't usually take reviews as a kind of be-all and end-all of what I'm going to watch or like an especially good um, way to determine whether a film is actually good or not. But I was taken aback by the fact that this film was very poorly received by, you know, the IMDb user base as well as um, amongst the audience in, on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. Um, I, w- I was rather surprised because I felt like this was, a, by all accounts, a rather unique film, I suppose, but not especially offensive in any way. Um, and what, when I looked into the reviews themselves, what seemed to stand out for most people was the discrepancy between the film itself and the trailer that they saw, presumably in a theater or something like that, um, where one user put it, this is the clickbait version of a film. (laughs) Um, And I just want to tell anybody who's only seen the trailer, but not the film yet, I know that IndieWire called it a real-time thriller, but focus on the real-time bit of that, because (laughs) it is not a thriller by most formal uh, convention. (laughs) Yeah, it, it, it's funny you say that actually, because because there's two films, recent films that come to mind when you think about the subject matter here. One of which I've seen, one of which I've not. One is uh, Bombshell, which was up for a few Oscars, and it is and and it, it's a very similar subject matter. I mean, we're talking about a powerful individual at a large media company who is abusing his power for sex right and in a summary that's what the what both films are are about but the manner in which they're approached is completely different which shouldn't really surprise anyone i mean you know like the bombshell reminded me a lot more of uh, vice and you know the big short and adam mckay's um films even though it was jay roach that directed it i didn't particularly care for that film from a construction standpoint but it, it that i think is more what people were expecting right that's something which is a lot more um, accessible, for want of a better word, and has uh, has triumphant moments uh, for you know victims and witnesses, and also has comeuppance for um, the the perpetrator. In the case of Bombshell, be Roger Ailes. Another film that it kind of brings to mind, which I think it will probably get compared to, just because of the overlap in um, the social matters it deals with, is a film which I think is coming out in April. Is Promising Young Woman. Uh, which is starring Kerry Mulligan. That, that that kind of focuses on a woman who is seeking revenge, like something more akin to the, the, what Amanda mentioned, is seeking revenge for a, a you know a sexual assault incident. I think that, and judging by the trailer, which I have seen, I think that's probably what people are reacting to. They're expecting something which is. Um, does have moments of triumph, has moments of comeuppance, and this film does not have that. It is low-key, it is slow, it is very deliberate, and it's always looking at things through, you know, doors that are ajar and muffled phone conversations and things like like that. And I think it's very effective as a result, 
Um, but I think that's maybe what some folk are reacting to. That is not this film. This film is a very uh, slow, deliberate, more more European in style, I think, for want of a better uh, word. It's a much more naturalistic approach to this sort of story. The film actually reminded me quite a bit of Chantal Ackerman's uh, Jean Domain uh, film from 1975, which is curiously one of the first, let's say, feminist films to be labeled as such. It focuses on the mundanity of what Jay, Jane does um, at her job, which is usually, you know, clean bits and pieces and survive on takeaway food. In that, I think, um, the film achieves something quite interesting, which is this sort of establishment of a routine and the way that certain workplace practices and ultimately workplace harassment gets normalized because it is grown with all of these very um, unremarkable activities in the office. So the fact that this sort of Harvey Weinstein analog character um, is mostly an off-screen character, say for maybe a couple of seconds where we see him through a fogged up window, um, I think that also um, portrays something very interesting about I'd say work, workplace harassment, sexual harassment in general, um, which is that it is often not just a case of this the certain powerful individual exploiting their position. It is also a question of many other complex uh, social dynamics, such as the devaluation of um, entry-level work, uh, the devaluation of gendered labor, um, the very existence of gendered labor, and the fact that Jane, in spite of being an assistant with colleagues who presumably are sort of in the same um, same sort of stratum of like office hierarchy, she is still the one who orders them food, and she is still the one who takes care of her boss's kids when his wife comes to visit him. Um, so these are all issues that go way beyond just one person uh, sexually harassing or sexually manipulating um, or otherwise inappropriately behaving towards um, his employees. It also involves um, various bystanders that we see in the, in the film, uh, in this case, not wanting to get involved and getting dismissed by HR when they try to get involved in any which way. And on that note, I think the, the, the probably the, the most notable folk performance in the film that besides Julie Garner's is a um is a very short one and it's uh, Matthew McFadden who plays an HR rep in one scene and I think uh, I mean it, it, like so Matthew he's been in many many things over many years I think what he's probably best known for at the moment is he plays um I forget his first name now but Wamsgans in uh, Succession on HBO at the moment that very successful show so he has a very pivotal role kind of in the middle of the film and I won't give much away I mean if you can think about the story you probably know how how, how a meeting with HR is going to go in this film um but he is pitched to perfection as well that kind of like you know mix of you know welcoming i'm here to help but then it just kind of turns on a dime and you know very quickly switches to uh, something which is far less uh sympathetic but not in a way which from a, a legal perspective is probably very carefully calibrated um so that that's probably that scene when you come to it's probably the most impactful and i think that's where the performance is are, are lending a lot to the film but beyond that i think the the structure and all the stuff we've spoken about is a key part of it i, I mean I, I really liked what both of you said but i do think for definitely this idea of um continuing to reinforce the internal struggle of someone who like you said is in in this gendered role of a staff but then is being told on a you know on a multiple basis how lucky she is to be there you know even from her parents who you know don't really understand that and and again that's why i you know hr and you know this kind of stuff i've i have to say i've 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 been there seen that in new york and and it's and it's really true and um and it and it's it's a bit scary but um i'm i'm certain it's happening all the time um but very good film Maybe not as thriller-like as some people or the trailer made it to seem seem to be, but we highly recommend it, I think. Yeah. 
So the next film we're going to review is System Crasher, which is set for a March 27th release. Of course, all of that is, you know, very much up in the air and pending, but that's what it's currently slated for right now. It's been on the festival circuit for a while. Uh, I first became aware of it at Cambridge Film Festival in 2019, but I believe it made its debut at Berlinale in 2019. Uh, so the people who've seen this are myself and Betty. Uh, Betty, why don't you just bring us into the film and give us a little bit of an idea of what it's about. So, Nora Fingscheidt's um, drama film follows a troubled nine-year-old girl called Benny, uh, who displays all kinds of erratic and violent behavior, which makes her extremely difficult uh, for any foster family or child welfare home to handle. Um, individuals, whether children or adults, uh, who have a difficult or impossible time integrating into uh, these support systems are commonly referred to as system crashers, where the title of the film comes from. Uh, we see Benny get attached to her school. Um, we see Benny get uh, attached to her school, school escort, uh, Mika, who's played by Albrecht Schul. Uh, he's a former ruffian turned anger management therapist, and he tries to mitigate her behavioral issues by uh, methods such as taking her to the woods and working with her one-on-one -on -one in general. The film depicts uh, a whole series of attempts made by social workers, Benny's mother, Mika, and all other people close to her. To help her lead a relatively normal life, all with varying degrees of success. Yeah, and the the cast. Um, so we basically follow Benny, uh, so the young girl who who's basically rejected Bernadette as her name. She prefers to be called Benny. Uh, it's played by Helena Zengel, and. I've got to say, I think it's a really terrific central performance for her. We'll get on to the other aspects of the film shortly, because there's a couple of things that I think could be questioned. But overall, I think this is a really effective film. I think it's a very engaging and really quite difficult to watch film. There's quite a lot of segments uh, and sequences which really have you wincing and really kind of like, you know, worrying for this girl and also the people around her who are affected by her behaviour. Um, what did you think of that performance? Because obviously there's a few performances the film hinges on. I think that is the key one, though. Um, Helena Tsenkel's performance, I think, is one of the most impressive child performances that I've seen in recent years in general. Um, I think it achieves something pretty unique in the sense that, like, most films require you to suspend disbelief, whereas with this one, I would often have to remind myself not to believe it. Um, as far as I know, Nora Fingscheidt's um, film background is in documentary, actually, which makes sense that she'd have the knack to direct her in this way, not to take away from like her obvious talent in acting as such. Um, I also thought um, Albrecht Schuh uh, gave a very good performance here as well, and I think their dynamic uh, functioned very, very well, especially with the central actresses um, extremely genuine, extremely charming as well performance in the sense that like she is ultimately playing an extremely complex character that you have to both fear and sympathize with simultaneously. Yeah, and I, I'd very much agree with that. I think the the central performance is excellent, and I think that that thing you mentioned about a combination of you know, sympathising and empathising with the, the Benny character, but also being quite afraid of her, which, you know, I mean, she's a small nine-year-old child. It's quite, it, it, like, it feels, it, I, if you've not seen the film, it feels like an odd thing to say, but you really do worry about um, the consequences of the behaviour that she accelerates into, I would say, because as you said, like, frequently it's a very charming performance and she's, like, this very sweet nine-year-old kid but then she does have some behavioral issues and they are triggered in various different ways i think the one the film that focuses on the most with its um formal aspects is when her face is touched and it does a great job of building up a sense of i don't want to say dread because that makes it sound grander than it is but it's a real kind of like apprehension about what is going to happen next and i think the film does that extremely well and that is a combination of that central performance uh, from Helena Zengel, but also the actual construction of the film and the way it's been edited as well and the way that um, Nora Fingscheidt has constructed that. Um, in particular, when uh, Benny is set off 
particularly by, you know, having something touch her face or something like that, it, it will quickly go into kind of like an almost literal, you know, the uh, the red mist descends, really. Although in this case, like with the use of colour in this film, like pink is the, the thing. And if you've seen the trailers or stills of the film, like Benny wears this very distinctive, like, pink jacket. So in this case, it's more of the pink mist and that keeps that kind of that, that colour theme going. But basically that immediately descends and there's a lot of rapid cuts and kind of you obviously get this idea of this rush and lose of loss of control that obviously the young girl's feeling and i think it gets that across very well is it the most subtle way of doing it no but it is extremely effective and it builds up this kind of dread about when that's going to happen because there's no warning it is going to happen happen there's not really a build-up it is a very sudden trigger um, and I think the film does that extremely well. I think it needed the fill, the figure of uh, Misha, played by Albert Shu, to balance that out. Because um, I think seeing an adult bounce off that performance also brings a completely different layer to it as they try to understand it. What would you say beyond the performances stood out to you? Because obviously I've spoken about the... Um, the editing and kind of that construction of it, but what else do you think that brought to the film, if anything? I think the film is also structured rather episodically, in a way, in the sense that each segment of the film follows what almost I think can be distilled into a formula, which is number one, Benny acts out in a minor fashion, so you can tell that she's a problem child one way or another, but it's usually not something completely extreme. It's usually her being rude, um, or pushing around other kids. But then some steps are taken to help her in one way or another, or you could at least see other characters trying to think of a plan to help her, like a long-term plan. Um, and she... So n then number three, she seems to respond positively to whatever new method has been tried. Um, especially with Shu's character, where he takes her to the woods and tries to focus a bit more on her specifically. She obviously reacts um, quite positively to that and seems to benefit from this. But then, step four, she circles back to not letting the others control her and acts out in a major way. So she does something exceptionally violent. Say, she bludgeons a child <laughs> or, or otherwise does something that which, which to give you an idea of this film that's not a spoiler because more than one child gets bludgeoned during this film <laughs> you know not so just anybody thinking we give something away there if you see that happen in the film yeah. spoiler alert it's not going to be the last time no, you you got to see this sort of like um major kind of acting out happen several times and there's so many different creative ways in which she can create this horrifying and scary situation. This structure may at some points be a little bit repetitive, but one thing it does achieve is that after a while, you know exactly what's coming, but also you can't anticipate the extent to which this new breakdown will endanger the other characters or Benny herself. So the film does a good job of letting you sort of simmer in this anxious anticipation of something going terribly, terribly wrong. And I think it only manages to achieve that uh, by sort of... Um, it only manages to achieve that by sort of in engaging in this weird filmic Pavlovian conditioning where you know exactly when the tone slightly shifts and when Benny is about to start acting out. Yeah, I think you you've got exactly right there, and that the the different little bits, like the, the the structure repeats, but then if you look at it across the whole of the film, it does ramp up as it goes, um, and it becomes different scenarios, some of which are a lot more kind of difficult to to watch and deal with. I would say one thing that I do think is quite interesting about the film is so we've only really mentioned two characters here um so benny and her school escort uh, misha who has to take her to school each day there are a bunch of other uh, peripheral characters for the most part i would say the most significant from a narrative standpoint is probably benny's mother um 
that would be a chief one. Then there are also the people in charge of the various care homes that she bounces between because there's an emergency shelter, but then there are actually other permanent homes that she's in it for very short periods in the film because, of course, that's the entire point that she 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 doesn't fit into this system. Um, what I think is quite good about it is I think the film manages to toe that line of not really passing judgment on anyone. I think there's definitely people who come out of it better. Um, so there's a character, uh, Mrs. Buffani, who is clearly in charge of the placing of Benny, and she comes out of it very well. But you can see it's really a real strain on her to to deal with it. And, you know, she comes out better, I would say, than... Uh, Benny's mother does but everybody is presented quite sympathetically and if you think about that old uh, the old Roger Ebert quote about you know cinema being a machine for generating empathy this film in a strange way is actually quite a good way of showing that I, I think you, you do have empathy for just about anybody who is on screen maybe not necessarily the way they deal with any one thing but I think the film toes that line quite well I think we've been quite positive about the film I am going to I'm not going to say nitpick, because I don't think it is. But the one drawback I will say is it doesn't quite hit its tone all the time, I don't think. Um, and that's not to do with it going between moments where it's uplifting for Benny and then, you know, she's uh, triggered in some fashion and then, you know, has one of the, the, the many incidents that cause kind of such exasperation for the people trying to care for her. It's more when it goes between vaguely comedic and cute, I would say, and what is slightly more troubling behaviour. I don't think it blends that as well as it could at points. Um, I think it gets away with it, and I think the, the performances and the construction of the film are that good. It doesn't necessarily take away from it, but in particular, without giving away what happens, I think we were talking about the ending. The ending kind of summarizes for me that weird jarring of tones and there is a little bit you know and, and unfortunately i don't really have experience of this arena myself but it did the construction of the story is a little bit kind of you know with more attention and love massive behavioral problems can be fixed right and i get the idea is that you know individuals don't fit into this system and it doesn't suit all of them and that's absolutely correct, and I think it dramatises that extremely well. It does skirt a little close at times, I think, to maybe proposing something which doesn't really work across everyone. In in looking for an individual solution, I think it maybe neglects to uh, look at how effective what it's maybe hinting at would go for. That's my only real problem with the film, but I would be lying if I said you really notice that during the runtime for me. I think what you cited as the main problem of the film is sort of a consequence of it not really knowing whether it wants to go with a kind of heartwarming liberation narrative and or rather going with the fact that sometimes these situations are genuinely hopeless and to also use the fact that all of the characters in one way or another um, have something redeeming about them. And the very fact that you can have at least a modicum of empathy for everybody means that nobody is actually directly responsible for what is happening to Benny. Especially not like Benny herself, who even though she does all of these extremely violent and dangerous things, especially to other people, in spite of that, you know that she is basically just a problem child and that she can't actually be blamed for whatever is happening. We, as far as I know, don't um, don't have much access to whatever trauma she experienced in early childhood, but we can't... The fact that we can't know means that we can only assume that whatever Benny is doing was maybe the fault of someone else, but then we can't know that for sure either. So the film, in being charitable to almost everybody in it, like all of the all of the characters in the in the film being um portrayed in ways that avoid demonizing them in any way uh, the film is all the more hopeless because of that because you know that this is a situation that is ultimately beyond everybody's control which is why this sort of idea that you know with enough patience and affection this problem could be solved could never really work in this film 
And especially not the idea that what we actually need is to give Benny more freedom to be a kid or whatever. Because there's so many montages in this film of her like sort of running around and being plain playful with a lot of this like zany music playing um that sort of works against that initial idea which is that well in fact not much actually can be done at least not with the structural problems that the child welfare system is experiencing on a level that's much broader than any individual actor within it this is a problem that I've also noticed with the film and that also occasionally did not completely take me out of it, but did make me wonder whether there was some kind of dissonance between the people making it about what kind of tone they ultimately wanted to settle with in relation to whether this is ultimately bleak or if we can pepper in some moments of cutesy dance music. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and I think that's that, that's a fair comment to make. And I, I think if anybody sees this film, I don't, I, I don't think either of us are saying that it's you know completely jarring and it suddenly turns into like you know Little Miss Sunshine in the middle of it being you know like the Omen or something like it, it, like that. That's not what happens. It's more just as you say that kind of like slightly bleaker. Um, lack of resolution story that's going there are moments that just sit a little aside from it and i don't I, I don't think the film does them perfectly i wouldn't say it necessarily does them badly as such um but it's just it's, it's a tone that isn't quite blended correct and, and i understand why it's there um so nora thinks it was the director she also wrote it um as far as i'm aware it's the first narrative feature certainly directing um and i get the feeling it's probably in there to remind us that you know benny is a kid and you know i mean she you know she's not damien from the omen she she's a kid right a kid with some some big issues but you know that's what she is and i think that's why it's there i just i'm not convinced that they blend that particularly well because there are moments where i think it is done quite well um you know i mean there's one quite quite nice scene where she's been walked to school by mission like she's peppering with questions you know what's your favorite color what's this you know and like these ridiculous questions that like only like kids would like consider like so important and have to be answered in such quick succession but that retains the more naturalistic feel of the other parts right because when she starts acting out and has these violent episodes it is dealt with very in a very real fashion right you know like you know handheld camera it's quite muted and it fits in with that some of these segments where you know as you said the music maybe goes a bit zany and like some montage of her doing stuff that maybe sits apart from it so i I see why it's there um but for me it just didn't quite sit with the rest of the film so i think we'd both recommend that um just some small issues but overall it's a very good film very good central performance very good supporting performances and certainly the construction and the editing of the film really lend a lot to it that is currently scheduled for a march 27th release um of course coronavirus pending um who knows and of course as we've said at the start of the show that's the big unknown in a lot of the release dates that we're talking about here but that's certainly when it's set for and if you do get a chance to catch it either on on demand or if it's playing cinemas then i think we'd both uh, recommend it and check that out started something last month and we're going to try to keep 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 on it um in where we all come up with a short film that we would recommend you seeing whether or not it's online or you know certain ways um and jim you've reminded me of that a little too late this time to be honest so i was like was on my way here actually and i started to think no wait a minute um one of my favorite films in the world is a short film, so I'll get to that. But the the main the main deal here is that you're going to try to tell why you like this film in a minute. And uh, Jim does count; he does have a clicker here. So, like, uh, I mean, this is making me sound like uh, I'm a bit of a taskmaster <laughs> here. I like about the only reason I've been so on it is because when we did this last month, I was basically looking at Amanda when I was describing it, and she was pointing at the clock. So, you know, <laughs> let's let's it's it's a two way street. It's a two way okay. street. All right, Jim. Yeah. So let's see. You tell me your favorite. Uh, or one a, a short film in a minute and uh, starting now 
Uh, well, I've got two, actually. Um, so one a little bit older, one newer. Uh, the newer one that I'm going to recommend is Brotherhood, which is directed by Miriam Jubur, and I've probably pronounced that wrong. My apologies to all uh, Tunisians everywhere. Uh, she's a Tunisian-American director, and it basically follows the story of a young boy, uh, well, young man, really. He, he is the grown adult, but probably the oldest of the children in his family, who has left to go fight for Islamic State, and he's come back. So it's that dynamic between the family, the father, uh, and his younger brother, and how they are dealing with that. It's very well shot, uh, it looks very good, and more importantly, the central performances uh, as the father and the son who have come back uh, to the family home is very interesting. I won't give anything away, because uh, it's worth seeing, but it's a very affecting, very well shot short film that was nominated for an Oscar in February, in fact. And that's exactly a minute. <laughs> there you go. There you um, go. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to cheat a little here because uh, the film I am picking is also something that I believe Betty uh, agrees with me on. So I think we maybe get two minutes, right? Yeah, but I'm starting you now. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm choosing La Jete, uh, which is a short film um, written and directed by Chris Marker, one of my favorite um, uh, directors. I won the Prix Jean Vigo for a short film um, a long time ago, and it's also the inspiration of the film you might have seen, Twelve Monkeys. Um, I saw Twelve Monkeys first, actually, and when I finally saw Le Jeté, I was like, this sound, this seems really familiar to this film I saw with Brad Pitt in it. Um, and it, but it's all it's all shot in um, in basically mostly it's st it's a bunch of stills put together with voiceover narration about a post uh, nuclear war world and time travel and um, I'm just going to give it to Betty to tell tell us why she thinks it's one of the best films because I'm over my time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jim reminded me of this short film thing in a timely fashion, but I just forgot, so I'm just going <laughs> to endorse uh, Amanda's recommendation and say that La Jete is one of my favorite films as well. And one thing that I quite like about it is the fact that it's a science fiction film, but a minimalist science fiction film, which completely challenges any preconception you might have about these like campy and intense and incredibly, you know, well-produced and high-budget science fiction films. This is a science fiction film completely made up of stills, like Amanda said, and also reveals the, in, the nature of time travel as a concept um, that reveals nature, time travel as a narrative concept which can be depicted in such a interesting and expressive formal fashion remarkably efficient uh, <laughs> i i well, think could go on but you're not going to no no no, so no, 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 no i mean i think oh, i think oh. you know we can we can go on if you want because i think i think it i think it's an excellent short i came to i also came, i came to it via 12 monkeys um because like 12 monkeys was one of my uh, probably one of my favorite films as a teenager to be honest and obviously i find out you know it's based on that and inspired it and all the rest of it so that's how i came to it and i so i think we, we've got our We've got a trifecta of people who'd be recommending it here, so I'm quite happy to not confine it to a minute. <laughs> also, it really shows you the power of editing to me because, again, you're using still shots and obviously framing. I actually bought the book that has every shot in it, and it's my favorite coffee table book. Um, but it's worth just seeing and um, and to, to, to feel it how haunting and, like you said, how minimal but beautiful um, a film can can be and uh chris marker is just fantastic so go every film he's done i've absolutely loved and i saw his uh his exhibition at the cinematheque francaise a couple years ago which was fantastic as well all right so so you have another one jim then yeah i do i'm cheating in my own way this month oh, okay, um okay. I, I i've taken the opportunity of the reduced numbers of us in the studio to go for uh, a second one um so i'll if I start my minute now, and this is another short one, uh, like I did last one, so it doesn't it doesn't do well to go on and on about this one. I would say, um, the one I'm actually recommending is a little bit older. Um, I'm going to recommend the short film Lapse uh, by Charlotte Wells. 
for a few reasons. Uh, one, I think uh, she's a very accomplished uh, filmmaker. She's done uh, several shorts and won Best Scottish Short at the Edinburgh Short Film Festival a couple of years ago. And what this one does is it basically follows uh, a young woman who's commuting in New York City and basically is sexually assaulted in plain sight. It's a very difficult film to watch, uh, but I think formally in the way that she shoots it and constructs that story over, I think about six or seven minutes, is really, really very effective. And I thought with us reviewing The Assistant this month, I think thematically it goes quite well with that. It's also quite a good window into her short films, all of which are available on Vimeo, and I think are really effective and worth seeing. So, question to that, which you d that was another perfect minute. Yeah. Um, did that come before or after Blue Christmas? Blue Christmas is her most recent one. So that's the one that won uh, Best Got a Short Edinburgh Short Film Festival. That's her latest one. Um, she made Laps just before that, uh, which won a couple of awards. I think it got... I can't remember what awards it was exactly, but it won something at Sundance, and I think it won something at South by Southwest as well. Uh, and then I think her first short film was Tuesday, um, which is basically follows a, a young girl who... Um, it basically follows her throughout her Tuesday, hence the title. And it kind of it teases out details about the narrative and why she's behaving in a certain way. Um, and actually, I mean, in some ways it would actually go reasonably well system crasher if you fast forward a few years. But all three of those films, I think, are really very good. Um, I believe she's working on a feature film, or is at least writing one. Um, and I do think she's a name to keep a lookout for. She's based in she's a Scottish director, but she's based in New York, or at least she was until recently. Um, so I interviewed her when Blue Christmas was screened at the Edinburgh Short Film Festival. I do think her work is excellent, so it's it's a good window into that, because I think that's the one that made people kind of take notice of her short films. So that's it for our March podcast. Um, I uh, We hope that we'll be back next month. Um, stay tuned to hear about that. But um, in the meantime, I hope everybody takes care of themselves and, um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cinetopia Radio Show is produced by Amanda Rogers and Jim Ross. And we're, if you want to follow us, uh, we're on Twitter at Cinetopia, uh, Cinetopia Hub on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, cinetopiashow.com is the website.